What child is this? Would you open God's precious holy word to Colossians chapter 1? And we will be in verses 15 through 18. And to some degree, we will answer that question, what child is this? Our study in John is paused for this one day, but not really since we have been underscoring the deity of Christ. And the whole study began in John 1, of course, which is John's inspired account of what Paul briefly declares here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so it is a beautiful and, and appropriate passage to insert into the place where we've been in John's gospel. What child is this? Here we go. He is the image of the invisible God. We're going to draw heavily on the original language here. Icon. Icon, uh, the English word we use from that is icon. The image, he is the exact expression. I'll give you, a, this is probably a crude illustration. I don't care. It's mine. I don't have a Blu-ray, but I came up in the days of black and white TV. You thought it was great. I mean, it was, wow, there's the Cisco kid or something. And when I was an older child, a very young teenager, color came in. Bonanza was in color. That's right. Yeah. Well, man, wasn't anything like it. Then high definition came in, right? We went from those flat screen TVs to the little thin things that we have now. Came Blu-ray. What's after Blu-ray? Anything? How many? 4K? Is that better than Blu-ray? I don't know. I really don't know. Here's what I do know. If you would have looked... At the background of the Lucille Ball show, as it originally came out. And then, if somehow it could be in color and Blu ray and 4K and whatever, you would see things. And you would see colors and you would see definitions you hadn't seen before. It looks like it's even better than what you could see with just the naked eye. I remember when I got glasses at the age of 15 years old, the first thing I said to my mother when I came out with glasses on, look at the leaves. 
You'd think by the time I was 15, I know what leaves looked like. There is something that is a perfect expression, a better, a perfect expression of something else. The supreme perfect expression in the way that we can receive it. He is the image of the invisible God. Now man was made in God's image. Man is different from the other creatures. We can communicate, we have abstract thought, we, we can use logic and, and uh, rationale, reason. We have a sense of morality. If you've ever raised dogs and you sell puppies, you realize that dogs have no sense of morality. <laughs> Giraffes don't either. But man, he has a sense of emotion and he can engage in meaningful relationships that just create a bond unlike any other creature. He is created in the image of God. But the Christ is the image of God. He's uncreated. He is the image of God. This is the expression. This is the presence. This is the presentation, the reality in our world and in our sensitivity of what we can receive of the invisible God who is otherwise invisible. We can't. We don't have the power or the receptors or whatever to take in the fullness of God. God, however, will reveal himself in the fullest way possible through his image. He is the image of the invisible God. The preeminent over all creation, Protocticus, may say firstborn. That's okay. The first one. But all others are after that, or under that, or beneath that. He is the preeminent over all creation because in him. All things in the heavens and upon the earth were created. We've talked about this in John's gospel from John 1. But our great God is above, the creator is above all things that are created. His existence is a realm that can, never be mis that can never be understood by 
his creation. Because he is the cause and we are the effect. And the effect is never as great as the cause. The effect is just caused by the cause. We cannot cause ourselves. Everything is in him. Paul says it this way to the Areopagites in Acts 17. In him we live and move and exist. In him, the very fact that we exist, the very fact that the stars exist, the very fact that creation is creation is proof to those of us who are in Christ is proof that our God is real. We wouldn't be, we wouldn't exist if he didn't make it so. In him all things in the heavens upon the earth were created. As far as you can go in the expanse of the universe and to the tiniest crevices of planet earth, everything that can be experienced or seen Created by him. Back to John, he was called Logos. Remember that? Logos. The great almighty God. In a way that we cannot understand. Came forth. God the Son. To create even to exist within his creation. It's all in him. The visible and the invisible. What is seen through the telescope and what is seen in the microscope. The power, the energy, the existence of everything galaxies and supernovas or subatomic particles. The visible and the invisible. Beyond that, there is a, a spiritual realm that exists. Whether thrones or lordships, or origin, maybe maybe first supreme rulers that everything else must follow according to divine purpose and principle, or authorities. Whether thrones or lordships, or supreme firsts, or authorities. The angelic realm. So there's the macrocosm of creation. There is the microcosm of creation. There is the spiritual realm of creation. All things through him. No, listen, okay, let me finish this. And into him, and the little Greek word up there, ice. It can be unto him or for him. 
It is by his pleasure, for his pleasure, and it is unto him. It wouldn't be here if it wasn't unto him or for him and in him. Into him have been created all things, all things. So, this one who is born the Christ is the exact expression, perfect expression of God in time and space, preeminent over his creation. So God the Son creates time and space, accommodates himself to it, and comes into it. And is over and preeminent over all that he has created, whether you can see it or whether you can't see it, whether it's in the physical or the spiritual realm, all things through him, unto him, or for him, into him, have been created. So, all that exists, so many things yet undiscovered, Things that have been discovered and yet we struggle to understand. All things exist because of him. That's me, that's you. That's the lost, that's the saved. That's the church, that's the pagan, that's everything, all things exist through him and unto him. Because he created them. The point of the whole thing is for us to somehow wrap our feeble minds around the greatness of the Christ of God. The profound mystery of the incarnation. And the condescension from where he was to where he became immeasurable. We cannot, we, and we try to wrap our minds around it. This is the Christ of God. Who is this child? What child is this? His majesty. In the manger, he is God who has accommodated himself to his creation for a particular purpose. But the answer to the question continues in Paul's letter to the Colossians. And he is before all things, he is preexistent. He walked as a carpenter. He came as a man, fully man, yet fully God, who needed rest, who in his righteousness became angry. 
who in his grief wept, who in his passion felt the excruciating, horrific pain and bled blood and gave flesh. This one, we understand, is before all things. And all things in him hold together. Sinistican, hold together. Within the nucleus of every atom, there are protons. Protons are positively charged. Everything in the mind of a scientist tells that scientist that those protons should not be able to exist together in the nucleus of an atom. They ought to be repelling one another because they're both positive. But they dwell together in the nucleus of an atom mightily, which has presented to physicists a question that still has not been answered. You remember how they built this thing over in Switzerland or Sweden or somewhere, it's this hundreds of mile long thing and they're gonna crash atoms try to figure this thing out, whatever you call that thing. And still the answer cannot be understood. How is it that protons positively charged together exist within a nucleus of the atom and don't explode? Every atom ought to be an explosion, but it's not. Why, the Bible gives us the answer, the creator holds them together. And all things in him, that's his creation, we just read that. All things in him hold together this great unseen force that is only Christ's, the power of Christ. So I consider the world today. The world is falling into darkness. There's some kind of purpose for it and I will rejoice in it in the by and by, I'm sure. And so there is this swath of unbelievers and then there's this group of the remnant, the elect and the world in every age has rebelled against the creator, against God and his Christ. They've sought to destroy his word, they've killed his prophets they want to destroy in these days the church and the true teaching of the word of God by perverting it and making it seem as though it's something bigoted or or something that's wrong. But it is what it is because Christ is who he is. Now let's move out from just the panorama of existence on planet earth 
into the church. There is still today in this world the church. And until God decrees it to be so and until the trumpet sounds and the shouter shouts, the church will be here and the world will not stop it until that time. He is the head of the body, the church. The body cannot do a thing without the head. The next step, the will, the wisdom, the direction, all comes from the head, which thus energizes the body. He is the head of the body, the church. We cannot do anything properly. Now, there is a true church. There's a counterfeit church. You know this. But the only thing that restrains the world from falling to pieces and collapsing into the tribulation is the presence of of he who restrains and that which restrains. The presence of the Holy Spirit in the church and the work of the church guided by the Holy Spirit. That's Paul's writing to the Thessalonians. So as long as the church, regardless of how weak the world may think we are and how few of us there may seem to be, as long as the true church is walking this world, the world cannot fall into the horrible straits of the tribulation. We think that there are times that are bad in these present days. These times are incomparable to the coming tribulation. What is it that restrains the natural evil of man to try to destroy ourselves? We're witnessing it today on a national and global level. For some reason, people just want to destroy other people. They have no reason. It's without reason. What keeps them from doing this? The presence of the church directed by the head of the body until he takes us away. The head of the body, the church. And he is the mm origin. He's the beginner or the beginning. Apart from him, none of it's here. Not any of the world, not believers, not unbelievers, not elect angels, not fallen angels, nothing. We spoke of the angelic realm and the Bible teaches us of the rebellion and how there are elect angels and there are fallen angels. But the beginner, the origin, the head of the body of the church 
the sustainer, the one who is before all things, his power is absolute and sovereign. He's never out of control. This is why we should walk confidently. I get as aggravated as everybody else when I see things that apparently are happening and hear things that are apparently happening. And yet I have another breath to preach it and teach it. One reason is because there is nothing that the elect angels can do to improve upon the grace and mercy of Christ. And there's nothing that the fallen angels can do to take away from the mercy and the grace of Christ. It is absolute. It is by his will that we come to him. It is by his will that we belong to him. It is by his will that creation is what it is. It is by his will and strength and power that it will be what it will be in a, an age yet to come. The beginning, the preeminent born, the firstborn, out from the dead. Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, listen, if he is not raised from the dead, then we are of all men most miserable. There would be no hope. But he gave himself on the cross. But he is Lord over death. And he has been raised from the dead. All others follow him. If he is not resurrected, we will not be resurrected. Nor would the nor would the Unbelievers in the second resurrection, the second to the last, the second resurrection unto damnation, they won't be raised either. Where could it all be headed? There's no reasoning in that. But he is the firstborn out from among the dead. Therefore, those who are in him will follow thusly in resurrection. Paul again writes, each in his own tachma in his own order, in his own rank. And rank upon rank, tier upon tier, we will stand. Those of us who are in Christ, resurrected unto our God and Savior who made us, who saved us, who kept us, and who will glorify us. He is the firstborn out from among the dead. So that he might emerge holding preeminence in all things. I want to end with this. The context, I don't like to do this. I'm breaking the context up a little bit because it so beautifully moves into the fullness dwelling in him completely and then the cross and all. I'm going to stop it here because it's Christmas. I'll finish it when we get to Easter. Look at this, holding preeminence. Protuon, protuon. 
Now, that's a compound Greek word, but here's the beauty of it. Stay with me. It is in the, it's a participle, but it is in the, it is in the present active. Being in the present means that it just keeps going. It's continuous. It's a continuous action. It cannot stop. And in the active, that means that the subject is performing the action. Namely, the one who here is identified as he who is Christ. Now let's go back with that in mind. Let's go back and look at this last phrase that I'm going to look at today. So that he might emerge holding preeminence in all things. Here's what that means. That means he ain't never out of control. Even as dark as it seems, he is always present active. He is always by his power engaged continuously, actively performing it himself without fail, without cause. And so I don't know who's going to aggravate me tomorrow. Maybe the Supreme Court. <laughs> Biden, he, he aggravated me once. The problem with him is he ain't stopped, you know. But, <laughs> but there's Congress or there's governor, mayor, mama, daddy, deacon, pastor, whoever. Listen. He has never lost his position of preeminence. He holds it forever. This is present active in the parts of, listen, holding preeminence in the church? No, in all things. Well, yes, in the church, but in all things. All things. Passing all things. Here's what he's saying. He's the creator. Everything is headed to its proper and appropriate consummation according to his will by his power. He won't let go of that power. He won't surrender it and he can't be defeated. He even defeated death. He accepted it, walked into it, came out of it. And he brought me out with him. What child is this? He is the only one who can save me, who can redeem me and give to me eternal life. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? We have deacons and their wives just across the hall as you exit. And I want to close with these three things. Number one, everyone needs to be saved. If that conviction has been laid upon your heart today, on your way out, please let the deacons talk to you and pray with you. Number two, we need to be obedient once we're saved and we need to let the world know Christ has given us a beautiful expression of faith in believer's baptism.
Maybe you need to be baptized. Let the deacons talk to you about that. Finally, every Christian, oh, especially these last days, needs to be anchored in a Bible-believing church where we stand on the word. Oh, we may appreciate books here and there that are written by some and has within and within those books their opinions and expressions, but we stand on the word. Every Christian needs to be in a church like that. If any of those three things are on your mind, on your heart, before you leave, speak to the deacons and their wives just in those rooms across the hall. Now, would you prayerfully stand all over this room? And save a prayer benediction for us.